welcome to Tales from the Albright, a podcast by the Scranton Public Library. Our guest today is Jacob. He works in the reference department with me. Hello. Today we are starting our Halloween episodes with a true crime story. During the closures caused by the COVID-19 pandemic, the reference department was able to work on quite a few projects. One project that we worked on was recording information about a collection of mugshots taken by the Scranton Department of Public Safety from 1903 to 1913. These include a variety of people of all ages, genders, and backgrounds. The crimes committed by them varied from larceny to murder. So there, there's all kinds of wild stories in yes. the, the mugshots um, because it was just such a unique time in Scranton's history. And every single time that they booked somebody, they wrote down all kinds of information about them, uh, physical appearance, what they had done. Uh, and we can kind of fill in some details with the newspaper. Alyssa did a lot of that background research mm-hmm. in the newspaper. Some of the tales get really entertaining. And today I think we have one of the most entertaining that we were able to find. Yes, it's definitely one of my favorites. Today I will discuss a case where a group of teenage boys claimed to steal from a variety of stores due to being hypnotized by a local shoe salesman. So, do you think being hypnotized into doing crime is possible? Well, it was one of those things that just showed up in a lot of literature around that time. And I personally am skeptical of it. Um, I've always been told that when somebody's hypnotized, they wouldn't do anything against their normal morals Mm -hmm. um, under hypnosis, but it was a really big literary trope at that time. It was. So I'm going to go through the history of hypnotism and then go into hypnotism in terms of criminal investigations. So, according to the Mayo Clinic, hypnosis is defined as a trance-like state in which you have heightened focus and concentration, where a person feels calm and relaxed and is more open to suggestion. It first rose to popularity when Franz Anton Mesmer believed he had found a substance called animal magnetism. This was thought that the invisible substance ran between a subject and a therapist and could be manipulated to cure illnesses and help improve their quality of life. Mesmer did a lot of stuff with frogs, right? I don't think so. No? No, um, but he did write to George Washington. By the 1840s, the word hypnosis was coined by James Braid, who believed that the hypnotic state that could be induced was a type of sleep. The idea was furthered by Jean Martin Charcot, who believed it to be an altered psychological state. The idea that hypnosis could lead to a psychological state of heightened suggestibility became ingrained in popular culture by Hippotite Marie Bernheim. In reality, hypnosis has had success in the modern day as a research tool, a method for recovering lost memories and therapeutic purposes. In terms of criminal investigations, an archived edition of the Criminal Resource Manual features a page on the use of hypnosis in the investigative process. It primarily deals with information obtained from a person while under hypnosis. It states that the information obtained from a person while in a hypnotic trance cannot be assumed to be accurate. Therefore, any information obtained by the use of hypnosis must be thoroughly checked as to its ultimate accuracy and corroborated. It is also advised that they should consult with psychologists. I'm not sure if this is still an active part of the criminal resource manual, but it is archived on the Department of Justice's website. 
Yeah, because you still see that a lot in popular television. Mm -hmm. um, it's not as much where you'll see somebody hypnotized into doing a crime as a hypnotist is brought in to help a victim remember things about a crime. Yep. So that's kind of where it's landed on in terms of criminal investigations. There have been different cases where people claim that they were hypnotized, like the one that we are going to talk about today. People claim that a person hypnotized them into committing acts uh, outside of their normal course of action, such as stealing money from family members, breaking into stores, even murder. The defense is attractive because there is a widespread belief that hypnotic coercion is possible that may have the potential for both creating self-fulfilling prophecies and generating a moral hazard by allowing hypnosis as a method of denying responsibility for criminal acts or making false accusations of coercion to create criminal acts from consensual ones. Studies have concluded that not even a criminal hypnotist can induce a person to execute a misdeed if a subject is not willing to cooperate. This means that the person being hypnotized must have had a subconscious or conscious desire to commit the crime in the first place. And that's like scary to a lot of people yeah. because they, they don't know what's in their subconscious. So to them it is kind of plausible that somebody could like find some deep dark secret that they've wanted to do these horrible things. Yes. Um, but for the most part, it's not accepted as a defense. Okay, so yeah. the courts have decided like, no, we're not gonna let people get away with just saying, oh, I was hypnotized. That's what the research that I looked into seems to show. <laughs> this subconscious or conscious desire to commit crime really goes into the teenagers involved in the case that we're covering today. James Creighton was 17 years old and arrested on February 13th of 1908. His mugshot shows a young-looking teenager with short hair, a patterned tie that is tied around his high-collared shirt, and a jacket. It is noted that he had light hair, gray eyes, and a fair complexion. Thomas Leo Ryan doesn't have a mugshot, but is mentioned as have been having arrested around the same time. Frank Golden, who we do have a mugshot for, was arrested on February 5th of 1908 when he was 17 years old. He had short brown hair, gray eyes, and freckles. His mugshot shows him wearing a knitted turtleneck sweater under a jacket. All three had a history of criminal activity in the Scranton area. James Creedon was already under investigation for working with Charles Riley to steal money from Peter Crooner's saloon on Pittston Avenue. The pair held crooner at gunpoint, leading to the Scranton Times to state that they had the bravado and criminal instincts of old professionals. Creedon was caught for this crime, but Riley would escape and go on to write mocking letters to the police while on the run. At the age of 17, yes. he was already committing crimes, so convinced that he would get away with it that he would mock the police. Yeah, so during that robbery he accidentally shot his own fingers and in the letters oh. which were published in the local newspapers he would just be like sorry for my handwriting my hand hurts because and i've just... shot myself in the course of this robbery yes oh wow it okay. was that robbery was not good for anyone involved then riley and creedon along with William Boland, also stole over 150 watermelons from a railway car on the Delaware and Hudson Railroad. Thomas Leo Ryan was said to have been part of a trio of youths who robbed a candy store on Mifflin Ave and was thought to have been involved in the saloon robbery at some level. So they all had a past history of crime and stealing. 
The specific crime that led to their arrest and the mugshots being taken was the burglary of Mike Butterman on Courthouse Square. I don't have the details of the actual robbery. They weren't reported, probably because the investigation was so dramatic on its own. So you don't know whether they were breaking into a house or a store? But it was like downtown, right near the courthouse. I imagine it was a store. Okay, some kind of store. What makes this specific case fascinating is that the teams claimed that James Abate had hypnotized them into committing the robberies. James Creedon stated that he had also stolen a ring for his brother, and he said Abate gave him 25 cents for it. According to his testimony, he also stole an overcoat from his father, for which Abate gave him 30 cents. Frank Golden had a similar statement. He claimed that at various times he was forced to accompany James Abate to the halls and rooms where entertainments of a magic nature were given. He was a demonstrating subject for them. So Abbott was the one doing these magical demonstrations? Yes. Or he was going with these kids? No, he was the one doing the demonstrations because he went around mostly the south side of Scranton okay. and would give displays of hypnosis and his like magical powers okay. to various audiences. So do you think that's where these kids first heard of hypnosis and, and kind of started to understand what it might have been and, and that kind of thing? Or? Personally, I do. Okay. Um, there's nothing concrete. In an image from the Scranton Truth, James Abate is shown with middle parted hair, a high collar, bow tie, and black jacket. He was described in an earlier article in the same newspaper as a bright and talented young man when he opened his store in September of 1905. He sold confectionery, cigars, tobacco, Italian and American novels, stationery, newspapers, and more. He was also a known musician who would play for weddings and events. According to later articles, his reputation as a hypnotist developed, and as I said, he would give performances throughout the city. Creedon did attend one of these performances, and Golden had worked at a few of them, which I had already stated. Oh, okay. So they were familiar of who he was and what he did and his reputation. After the accusations of Creedon and Golden, the police arrested Abbey for receiving stolen goods. The police then obtained a search warrant for his property that revealed that he had a light revolver stolen by the boys and several other articles later identified as stolen goods. In his defense, Abate wrote a letter in the Scranton Truth that stated that he had never purchased any stolen property. He never secreted any stolen property or otherwise from the boys. He never suggested or influenced them in any manner directly or indirectly to commit crime. He did admit to practicing hypnotism, however. Which in and of itself was not a crime no but he wanted to like set the record straight that he had never hypnotized these boys into doing the crimes yes so things took a very dramatic turn after this and there are two articles in the scranton newspapers that described a meeting between the teenagers and james abate in order for the police to investigate the claims of hypnosis so it was kind of an interrogation setting Okay, and they just brought him in to just see what would happen, or were they like... That's what it seems like. There's no real context given, but that's pretty much what it sounds like to me. (laughs) They kind of just put them both in a room to see what would happen. Just to see what would happen. Okay. During the police examination, Abate reportedly began shooting his palms forward, wiggling his fingers in all directions, and finally, in purring tone, said, You don't mean that. You don't mean that 
which resulted in Thomas Lee O'Brien collapsing before crying, save me, save me, he's at it again. The police officers who were in the room just watching this all happen shoved Abate into a chair so he could not look directly at the boys. Abate would claim that he was just trying to hypnotize them in order to make them tell the truth. So he admits to having some kind of hypnotic influence over these these boys, but is saying that it was just to help the police and get them to tell the truth. Yes. It kind of covers everything I went into the first part. So you have the people using hypnosis as a defense, and then also kind of hypnosis to tell the truth. But we don't know if the police asked him to hypnotize the boys. It seems like maybe they didn't. No, from the articles, it doesn't seem like it at all. He just kind of did it on his own, and the police didn't know what to do, so they kind of stood there <laughs> until... it happen. Yeah. <laughs> In a reaction to this report, the Scranton Truth stated, If it was acting on the part of Creedon to make the police believe he stole under hypnotic suggestion from Abbott, it was wonderfully done. Superintendent of Police Lona B. Day later stated that he believed that the outburst of Creedon Friday night when he begged to be saved from falling under the hypnotic influence during the exam was real. He further believes, he stated, that Abate really believed in his ability to hypnotize people. As for himself, he says he does not believe in hypnotism and never has. It really reminds me of the court scenes in the witch trials, um, when the people making the accusation would like writhe around and say that they were being bewitched by the accused. Yes, in a way. And I also think it's interesting that Superintendent Day was like, I don't believe in hypnotism, but I believe the boys believe in hypnotism and were hypnotized. Okay. The final result of this entire case was never reported on in the papers. Okay, so we don't even know if it went to trial or anything like that. No. And I'm wondering if it's because actual investigation, with the dramatic reports of James Abate trying to hypnotize boys under interrogation, were just more interesting. So it just never was followed up on. James Abate actually completely disappears from the Scranton newspapers after this, and I have no idea what happened to him in the long run. James Creedon was sentenced to Huntington Reformatory for his role in the Crooner Saloon robbery. Once he was released, he would then be sentenced to the county jail for another series of robberies, ending with stealing $17 from Philbin and Burke's pool room with William Q. in 1911. Thomas Lee O'Ryan would be found guilty of breaking into two stores and would be sent to Huntington Reformatory as well. I wasn't able to find anything about what happened to Frank Golden. I feel like this whole episode is summarized in a statement made by the Scranton Times that commented on this case, stating, While a New York clergyman proposes to cure physical and mental ills by hypnotic and spiritual suggestion, bad boys in Scranton declare that they were impelled to crime by hypnotic influence. I think I just love the phrase of bad boys in Scranton. (laughs) There were plenty of those. (laughs) Yes. These teens. It's kind of disappointing that we don't know what ultimately happened, but what we do know is just kind of wild. It really is. We will never know what role hypnosis actually played in these crimes. It seems that Bate truly believed he could influence people by his actions during the investigation and because he gave performances throughout Scranton. James Creedon, Thomas Leo Ryan, and Frank Golden did have a history of committing crimes, and they may have come up with the plan because Golden was familiar with Abate through his employment. It can also be a combination of both. And then next week, we are also taking a look into another wild tale of Claire Mitchell, 
who claimed to be a clairvoyant while defrauding people out of large sums of money. Thank you for joining me on this. Thanks for having me. Yep. This was fun. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, or anything at all, please send me an email at aloney at albright.org. That is A-L-O-N-E-Y at albright.org. Or you can call the library at 570-348-3000. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you.